Hello, hello, yeah. Well, I just prayed. I don't know if you thought I was moving my mouth or, or what I was doing. Hallelujah. Uh, I just feel like the Lord wants you to know today that he understands that it's tough out there, that you're actually in a war. It's not, um, it's not something odd or weird. It's actually what happens in life. From the days of Adam and Eve, a war began with evil. In fact, before that, a war began in the heavens, and their sides were struck up, and the enemy was able to take a third of the angels out of heaven with him. And then he came down for some reason in God's wisdom. He permitted that guy to come down with his angels into the earth and tempt Adam and Eve to test their, their um, trust in the Lord and and so there's been a fight, and he tempted them, and they gave in, and there's been fights and anger and hatred and pressure and, and impending doom ever since, and God knows you're going through that. God knows it's really tough. God knows that it can create anxiety in your life. <clears throat> and um, if we let that anxiety go unchecked, a lot of bad things can happen. I wanted to read... Just a couple scriptures, what this war is all about. Now, the enemy, the devil, his name was Lucifer, bearer of light. Light carrier is what it means. He was up in heaven, and he was one of the God's most beautiful, amazing creations. And him and God had a good relationship, and they just had a oneness, and it was just beautiful. It says he was in the mount of God. He was cast out of the mountain of God, and now the Bible says that we can enter into the mountain of the Lord. And uh, there's a way that we can do that. But in, um, he lost fellowship, and ever since then, there's been a war to make him look bad. You've got temptations to think God is bad. You've got temptations to use weapons that aren't godly. Uh, it's because the enemy is pressuring you to do what is not right. You know, the Bi uh, not the Bible, by far not the Bible. But uh, there's a saying all is fair in love and war. And I think a lot of people think that's true. And we get so in love with Jesus, we get so in love with God because we sense so much of his love coming down upon us. We, in his presence, as Tony was talking about earlier, in fellowship with him, there's a satisfaction you gain that none other, no other way. The most well-meaning spouse, the most, the, the, the most faithful friend, can't get into our heart and bless us with the unconditional love that only God can give. And so there's a fellowship. I'll just read a couple of scriptures here. With God that the enemy doesn't want us to have and that we have tasted. And that's why we keep on keeping on. We don't want to lose that fellowship. In fact, like Pastor was saying today, a lot of times we feel far away from that fellowship. And he says, press in. Press in, press in. Why? Because the lie is that God is far away. The truth is there's an enemy between a God that's really close and me. God's really close and the enemy is right between us. And it's time to press him out of the way through this warfare. And not all is fair in love and war. We can't start using anger. We can't start using sexual immorality. We can't use fits of rage. We can't use jealousy. We can't use these weapons of the enemy in order to get him. Guess what you get when the devil's standing here and God's standing so close? And you use the devil's weapons, guess what you get? You get to be enshrined with the presence of the enemy even more. 
You get to begin to go crazy even more. You begin to find no answers. Even All of a sudden, things begin to be totally dead end. If we use the wrong weapons, dead end, nothingness. What's the word? No purpose, purposelessness sets in as the enemy would like it to do. But if we do use the weapons that are fair in love and war, the enemy all of a sudden gets burnt. We can begin to say, I worship you, Jesus. I praise you, Lord God. I worship you. I love you, Lord God. I know you're near. That's why Philippians chapter 4 says, the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. And we've all memorized that scripture, be anxious for nothing but by prayer and supplication, let your request, but we forgot to memorize the rest of it. Right before it says, the Lord is near, be anxious for nothing. In other words, this guy, it's trying to get between you and your fellowship with the Holy Spirit, your fellowship with the Father, and your fellowship with Jesus. Now I've got to show you a scripture. I've been going to show it to you because you're wondering if we can have fellowship with all three. I'll just read a couple scriptures. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. And the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. There's so much sermon right in that. But the grace of Jesus be on us, the love of God be on us, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us. And let's go down to this other scripture. What, have we, what we have seen and heard, and I'm telling you, what I have seen and heard, I proclaim to you also. 1 John 1, 3, so that you too may have fellowship with us. We want fellowship with each other. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So there in two verses, we see fellowship with the Holy Spirit, fellowship with the Father, and fellowship with the Son. We have tasted the fellowship of every one of those. We have tasted, uh, you know, the Bible says only through Jesus can we get to the Father. And the Bible says only by the Spirit can we be drawn to Jesus. And so it's just one big happy family. We get to be drawn to God, and He gives us all that we need to stay in His embrace. He understands the war, He understands that it's hard. And if you're weary and you're saying, I can't handle another message on warfare, I'm tired. God wants you to understand, it's kind of like taking the wrong medicine for a toothache or um, putting a brace on your leg when, you're, when you broke your arm. You just, if we use the right weapons, warfare doesn't have to be so long and hard and impossible. The Holy Spirit will help us to use the right weapons if we choose the right weapons. Um, let me just go with uh, Psalm 4.4. Anxiety will cause us to push wrong buttons. Anxiety will cause us to pick up wrong weapons. Or anxiety can cause us to actually pick up the right weapons if we train ourselves to do that. In Psalms 4.4, it says, In your anger do not sin. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. 
In your anger, do not sin, because what happens so often, anxiety can produce anything. I mean, it can produce, I'm so anxious and anxious, and I just need, I just need some relief, and I go do a sin. But it can, or, or, I mean, all these are sins, but anger or, or rage or slander or condemnation and coming against brothers and sisters in the Lord. Anxiety can begin to produce that in us, and we begin to use those to try to shield our fearful hearts. When God has other ways to shield our fearful hearts. And it says here, and I'm just going to, today it's going to, I know we're talking about anxiety, and I am quite a bit. But I also want to talk about the buttons that it pushes. What happens if we actually don't stop it at the point of anxiety? There's still, you can still win that war, but it gets harder and harder if we don't stop it at the point of anxiety. So we're in our beds. We just had a fight with our favorite person, our spouse. And it says, when you're in your beds, search your hearts. Don't sin. It says, don't, in your anger, don't sin. You're angry. You're separated from your spouse now. You're separated from God now. You're all alone. We've all felt that. Anybody honest? <laughs> You're all alone, and you want to kill somebody. And it's not, you're not going to kill God because he wouldn't like that. <laughs> so you're going to kill the person closest to you, and you figure out a way to do it, you know. Just, I won't talk to them for three days. I probably won't talk to them for a week. But then you've got to start asking, well, you know, I haven't had any experiences like this except 40 years ago, of course. But <laughs> no, no, actually, probably too recent. But at the same time, less and less and less and less as I learn to use the right weapons. I'm more in love with my wife and my spouse than I've ever been. And so we, we are so tempted at that point of anxiety to go into anger, but it says you can stop it at that point. If you look up the Greek word of anger in Ephesians, it says, be exasperated and sin not. But whether it means total anger or total exasperation to the point of anger, it does say we can't. You just go down a couple of verses in Ephesians that says get rid of it. It says don't let the sun go down upon your anger. But it also says in a, in a, in a verse just a little bit further down, verse 28 or something. I'll read it in a second. It says get rid of all anger and wrath and slander and all that type of stuff. Get rid of it. So in other words, it's not allowed to be there. If you allow it to be there, when you're laying down, because it really doesn't mean get rid of anger before the sun goes down. What it means is get rid of anger before you cl close your day. So if you don't start getting rid of anger as soon as anger comes up, there's a good chance you're going to lay in that bed and the next day and the next day and the next day, you're still going to be angry unless you do what this verse, Psalm 4.4 says, search your hearts and be silent. Okay. Okay, I just thought of a verse... James 4, 4, I thought of it before this, by the way. I just thought, you know, so I'm laying there and I think, oh, I just thought of a verse. As soon as you do what the Bible says, he starts giving you good weapons. So I'm thinking, okay, ha, he's going to tell me something about my spouse. She's going to get set straight. And uh, what is it, James 4, 1 through 3. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that are war, at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme, you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have. 
but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war and take it away from them. She wants this, I want that. What she wants gets in the way of what I need or what I think I need or what I think I want. If we spend that money there, we won't have that money there. If they do this, we won't be able to do that. Fighting and warring within. And James simply says, why are you getting angry? It's kind of you're selfish. It's kind of you're thinking about yourself. Give it all to your spouse. Give it all to your spouse. Do that for about a year. <laughs> Pretty soon she'll just say, honey, what can I do for you? <laughs> I just love you so much. Try it. Just be selfless forever. And then it's going to be hard to actually receive something because you're so used to being selfless. And it's like, no, don't give that to me. I've been learning so much. It's so good just to give. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Oh, the enemy has another story, doesn't he? Let me just read these just to give us some scriptural background. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Get rid of it all. Get rid of it all. Get rid of it all. Don't start tomorrow. Start now before you shut your day down. Somebody's day might start at sunup because they've been working all night. Somebody else's day might start at sunset. But at any rate, at the end of your day, whenever that is, doesn't mean when the sun goes down. It means at the end of your day, you get take, this, take care of this thing because now you've got a moment to lay back on your bed and be silent and search your heart and let God convict you. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as, God in, just as Christ in God forgave you. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice. And again I say rejoice. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. I'm not going to go into this verse a whole lot, but by prayer means pretty much probably just request or any kind of prayer you can think of. And then, you know, you can give thanks, you can, you can uh, worship, but you can, it's communication with the Father. But then it says supplication, and supplication means I remember who I am. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the servant, I'm, I'm under him, I'm not over him, I'm a supplicant, I'm asking Jesus, Father God, help me to have this. I remember we went through a teaching, uh, I think it was in the 90s, that a lot of people were teaching, and it just drove me crazy, because every time I look in the Bible, it didn't say that. You know, they'd pick one verse out of Isaiah, and they go, and concerning the works of my hands, command me, ye me. <laughs> so here's, and it was actually coming against doing that. If you read it in your Bible, you can look it up. It's in there. And, uh, and they'd be training us to have a lot of faith, so just command God to do this or command God to do that. It's like, who are you to be commanded to work? You are the work of my hands commanding me? No, we're supplicants, and we come before him humbly, and by the humility, grace is added onto your life. The Bible says in, um, in, first, in John chapter 1, it says, and of his fullness of all we received in grace upon grace, upon grace upon grace, and the more we can humble ourselves, the more we get grace upon grace, and grace is just something that makes life happen. Grace is miracle grow in a Christian's life. I, I don't know what grace is. Everybody says it's these theological things, but it, it's a miracle grow. It just makes me live, makes me happy, makes me high. Whoa! And I can keep my mind, almost. <laughs> I about go out of my mind. I'm head over heels for this fellowship with the Lord our God. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. So it's like... I'm pretty sure Peter had a rod and reel. <laughs> and he, you know, he wrote this, 2 Peter. Just cast your cares upon him, for he cares. And you want to get that thing way out there. Cast. Maybe it was a sling. Maybe it was just a stone. But cast. I mean, sometimes there's so much pressure. Just 
beating me down, so I get in my prayer room, and I, I just say, God, I cast these cares upon you. Pretty soon, I'm not thinking about my cares. He's got them. Because I just obeyed him. I obeyed him. I cast that thing. If you're in the shot put, I mean, you're practicing, you know. You're going to cast that thing. You want to win that thing. I want to win. I don't want that weight on me. I just want the victory. I want to be with Jesus. So I'm going to cast my cares upon him because they're separating me. What is this war all about? It's all about the separation. Why is God asking us to go to war? Why is God talking about the war? It's all about separation. I've been separated. But thank God in the Bible. I think it's 2 Corinthians 5, 19. It is think a while. It comes back sometimes. God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us. I can't get into this war unless I know that scripture. I can't get into this war unless I know that even while I've sinned, even while I've messed up, even while I've blown up, even while I've gossiped up, even while I've slandered up, he is in Christ reconciling me to himself, not even counting my sins against me. <laughs> He's not even counting my sins against me while I'm working on it. He's saying, okay, Mark, let's rebuke that together. You just messed up? Why well, wait a couple days of saying, oh, how bad I am, how bad? How about just say, oh, he likes me so much. He's going to help me say no more of that. Get out of my life, gossip. Get out of my life, slander. Get out of my life. Lying, deceiving, stealing. What is it? Get out of my life. Complacency even. Can we get mad at complacency? Can we get mad at the fact that we're sitting down and being entertained and comforted by movies after movies and news after hours of news? Can we get upset with that complacency and begin to say, I miss you, Father? Do we remember that he was so much better than these false soothings? Can we remember that? Why does he call us adulterers in James? Because we fell in love with things that let us, they pacify us. They massage us. They put us to sleep, and the woman comes and cuts our hair off, and we have no power, and we don't even know he left, because these things are so satisfying, I don't even miss him anymore. Somebody, if you could just somehow begin to realize you don't have him, you don't have him like you used to. Why do I want him? He's the only solid thing there is. That's why you want him. He's the only true thing there is. That's why you want him. Could have been evil. I guess he couldn't have been because he's not. But let's just say he could have been evil if he wanted to, but he's good. Thank God God is good. So let's go back to anxiety or worry for one moment. Because Mark Batterson would be proud of me right now if he knew that I was saying this. So I'm going to give a quote from him. <clears throat> because that's where it all starts. 
a lot of times. It's not always that. Sometimes we just aren't even in any, under any pressure. All we see is a little temptation go by. Yeah, that guy's bad. And we just jump on. We weren't even anxious. We just jump on the bandwagon and do stupid things. But a lot of times it's because we started with that thing called worry. If you're a worrier by nature, Mark says, I have good news for you. You have tremendous prayer potential. The Apostle Paul writes, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. If you worry about everything, you'll have a much higher likelihood of praying without ceasing. If you simply learn to turn your worries into prayers, the Holy Spirit can redeem your anxious thoughts by using them as prayer triggers. Think of worry as a prayer alarm. Every time it goes off, you put it to prayer. And when you do, you will discover that anxieties will evaporate like the morning fog. So quit wasting your worries. Redeem them by recycling them. Turn your worries into prayers. I think there is a, the book we're reading as in huddle groups, there's an example in there that I thought really gave a good spiritual understanding of, of our lives. It might help us to kind of see more clearly how not to press the buttons that will destroy our sphere of influence, our own lives, our sons, our daughters, our families, our, our group, whoever we're around, whether they're saved or unsaved people that we're around. And back in 1962, the book talks about this, and I looked it up on the internet to get a little more information, but back in 1962, there was, some of you know this, but there was a Cuban Missile Crisis, and they were starting to point some missiles toward America. Russia was planting them there. And three or four submarines came along from Russia. They thought they were going to go to Siberia. They got redirected, at least the crew members did. They got redirected to, toward Cuba. A hurricane came up named Daisy. It had 50-foot waves. And they were trying to stay on top of the waters because uh, it's just easier to travel on top instead of way down below. And they got these waves and everything, tossing them all over. Well, somewhere along the line between there and Florida and Cuba, they ended up losing their air conditioning. So it got up over 120 degrees. All the crew members, everybody's getting on edge. Everybody has tension everywhere. The, they've gone through all kinds of stuff for these 5,000 miles just to get here, let alone no air conditioning and, and all the stuff they're not used to. They get almost to Cuba, and their, their radio says, turn north up the Florida coastline. And so it's just, they're just like, what's going on? Is war happening? They, they, you know, they don't know what's going on. And they get up there because President Kennedy had shut off Cuba, and that's the reason they had to go this way. But yet, nevertheless, the Navy, the United States Navy, began to pick them up and see them and started following them, and that made them very worried. And so they went down deeper than deep, and they couldn't, they couldn't hear or get any kind of signal from, from, uh, from their authorities or even from the U.S. They couldn't pick up on anything. Maybe some radio from normal radio, but they couldn't pick up on what was going on upstairs. And uh, so they, they got to this point where the United States was not liking them there, so they started casting down depth charges, shooting depth charges all around them, and uh, this one submarine in particular had this captain that was just really getting worried. Every one of these submarines had a... And they, people, didn't, people in America, the general public didn't even hear about this until 2002, which is 40, year, 40 years after the fact. 
Each one of them had an uh, atomic uh, warhead on it that could destroy about 100,000 people. So here they are right by America. I don't even know if our Navy knew it at that point. And they're all equipped to destroy America with nuclear warheads that can take out 100,000 people like they did in Hiroshima. And so they're, they're, they're down there, and these depth charges are just tossing that thing everywhere. That the submarines just, these guys are beginning to go nuts, and they need three officers, the three head officers in that one sub need to decide. They, all three of them have to say, okay, we can push the red button. So the captain, Savitsky, he said, we're pressing that red button. Second in command, he said, we're pressing that red button. And then there's a guy named Vasily Arkhipov, and he said, I'm not real sure about this, but the guy, the captain said, you know, I think the war's probably already started. We need to do this. We're going to go down. We are, we'll shoot, we'll destroy them, we'll destroy us, but we won't bring shame to the ship. At least we won't look bad. And so that was his reasoning, and, and this guy, Vasily Arkhipov, we look at his, write, or his wife's writings and different people that were interviewed later on, he was a very extremely calm person. He was a person that was very polite, and he was a person that was very intelligent. And uh, he, um, he took the captain aside. Nobody knows exactly what he said, but he said something to the effect of, you know, if they wanted to kill us, if they wanted to hit us, they would have done it by now. What they're doing is warning us. They're shooting to the left. They're shooting to the right. They're not hitting us. What they're doing is warning us to come up and just talk with them. And somehow, in the midst of all this heat and all this anxiety and all this tension that's going on with the crew members and the captain and... and, and, and um, keeping respect of self-respect, he, he's like, we're going to be shamed if we just let this happen to us. We need to shoot, and we need to shoot back because this war must be already going. <clears throat> and um, with all this kind of stuff going on, this one guy, um, his wife even told about how calm he was. And you look a picture up of him, and he just looks like a calm guy. One guy, they say, when, the historians and the people who look back, said one guy saved us from World War III. One guy probably saved most of us so that we could actually be born or continue to live. Because he was calm, anxiety can screw up a lot of things if we push the wrong buttons. And we don't even realize it's happening to us. We don't even realize that we're going in deeper and deeper to total destruction of those around us, ourselves, our ability to stay in his loving presence, the ability to really know what his love's all about, what it's like. Because when all you've had is other people's loves, the Bible says even the heathen, even the pagans love each other. But that's nothing compared to his love. And we begin to use the enemy's weapon, we'll still experience each other's love sometimes, whichever clique loves each other. A little bit of division in some politics nowadays, not much, right? <laughs> and we don't need that type of division where this side and these three and these, those eight love each other. But that bunch over there is... We can actually all love him, and as I read that verse earlier, and we have fellowship with the Father and the Son, and we want you to have fellowship with us, Father, Son, and us. That's what he wants for all of us. Well, that love that beyond, unless you've tasted it, unless you, and you have your spirit, you know, some of us think, well, I don't know what that's like anymore. Or, that just seems like a, a long time ago. I, I don't realize what his love's like. But you know what? There's still a sense in your spirit man the, man, the the spirit man that was recreated. There's a sense in you that knows that I, I miss that. I miss that love. And a war is all about regaining that, keeping that, and having more of that, and more on a constant moment-by-moment -moment basis. 
God wants to be with us moment by moment. We can't use the enemy's weapons any longer to get between us and God. So the question today is, do you want to save your world? What if it was truly possible to have, to have extreme calm, extreme gentleness, extreme peace? What if it was actually possible to keep your sanity when everybody else losing it? What if it was possible to save your sphere of influence, to save your world? What if it was truly possible? I got to tell you, it is possible. It really is possible. A guy named Redpath says, there's no winning without warfare. There's no opportunity without opposition. There's no victory without vigilance. For whenever God's people say, let's arise and build, Satan says, let's arise and oppose. We can, if we'll enter the war, we will stop the war. If we'll enter the war, we will stop the destruction, the devastation. How many of us, when we get anxious or some other type of pressure makes us fretful and scared and worried and it might be saving our self-image or whatever and all of a sudden a parent screams at a child, a child screams at a parent, a spouse physically or verbally abuses the other, spouses when subjected to deep and prolonged pressure begin to want to hurt someone that they have always loved, parents saying negative things to their children that will cripple them for life. Medical bills, vehicle breakdowns, quitting a job, pressing them buttons, taking overtime when we have no business. We can't hardly take the amount of stuff we're doing already and we take a few more overtime jobs because of worry. And what's it do? It destroys. We've pushed the red button. We pushed the red button. We pushed the red button. When if we could have just been calm like Vasily Arkhipov, we could have stopped the whole thing. There's a better answer. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Press the red button, give in to anxiety, take control, wound a relationship, forfeit a pay raise, lose a business deal, break a child's heart, turn somebody off to Jesus when you claim to know him. How would you like to save your world? There's only one way to do it. It's the Bible. It says, the kingdom of heaven permits violence, and the violent take it by force. You're going to have to not be passive any longer because your passivity actually is much more strenuous than if you'd enter the war. Because passivity presses red buttons. Entering the war presses spiritual buttons that build us up. There's always been a war against evil, as I said earlier. And unless we decide to enter that war, we'll always be a slave to a manipulating, conniving tyrant called anxiety, fear, condemnation, anger, fits of rage, gossip, slander. Anxiety tries to get us out of control. The reason we have anxiety is because we can't get control. In Peter 2 Peter 2.19, I believe it's 2.19. Let me, I've got it written down somewhere, I'm pretty sure. Let me, I want to read the whole thing. I might have to just look it up. Let's just, I'll look up 2 Peter 
Okay, it says, they promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. I don't know what you think depravity is, but it's, this is talking about preachers that are promising people freedom and yet they're a slave to, mainly seems to be talking about sexual immorality in context. But the fact is, anything that does not represent God's virtues is depravity. Anxiety is totally depraved calmness. Anxiety is not calmness. It's the opposite of God. So it says they promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. A man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. In Genesis, it talks about Cain had sin crouching at the door, and, it said, and, he, and God said to Cain, he said, sin is crouching at your door. You must master it. There is no choice. You must master it. Sin is crouching at your door. You must master Did you know sin's crouching at our doors? If we are at the point of a little bit past anxiety, sin is crouching at our door. If we got to the point of anger, why does, why does James say being at your, if you're angry with your brother, you hate him? If you hate, you're a, you're a murderer. Well, Cain was the same way. He murdered his brother. If we let anxiety push those buttons, sin is crowded. It's not a maybe. It's a must. We must master it. His life was not good after that. Thank God we got a better. The Bible says the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the, the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel says you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. The blood of Jesus says I forgive him again and again and again and again. Oh, you don't have to be anxious anymore. Yeah, you messed up. You pushed the wrong button. He cries out, you're innocent, you're innocent. The blood of Abel, the blood of Abel, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father God. You're working. He's working with me. He's not counting my sins against me. Don't forget that in this war. That is so, if we get this figured out, if we actually get it figured out that I can fall, should I sin then? God forbid I've been set free from sin. Absolutely, it's not a license to sin, but it's a license to go get Father and say, Father, help me get rid of this. It's got to go. It's got to go. It's got to go. Well, how can it go if I keep saying, oh, God, I, I really messed up. I wonder if you're ever going to forgive me. Forgive me in Christ Jesus. I believe. The work of God is to believe. And the Bible says he forgave me through Christ Jesus. And he forgives me seven times 70. So I get that settled. If I don't have godly sorrow, that's not my fault. He'll give me the godly sorrow when I need it. I can't make godly sorrow. That's godly sorrow. That, I can't make godly sorrow. My name's Mark. It'd be Markly sorrow. We worry too much about, oh, I didn't get sorry enough, or I was too guilt, or wasn't guilty enough, or whatever. Forget it. Just grab Father God and say, God, I don't want that. And he'll start rebuking it with you. Hmm. Got a few more minutes. I don't promise to get done with this. <laughs> I had another sermon, too, that I was going to put in with this one. And we're not even going to get this one done. There's really good stuff in, in, in Nehemiah. You go there sometime. We're not going there. There's a choice when anxiety hits. There's a choice when pressure hits. For example, when I was younger, 
last year, no, <laughs> it's quite a while back. I was te- we, 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 um, we raised about 950 hogs by the time they were, I mean, we would probably have over 1,000. We had a bunch of hogs per year, and we'd farrow twice a year. And they'd get up to about 240, and then they'd start causing trouble. And you got a hog barn there, a hog barn there, and a hog barn there. And if one belonged in another hog barn, a lot of times it's hard to get them to the right hog barn. And so maybe they got out, maybe they, maybe they need to be moved down there because they fit better down there with that size or something. But whatever reason, sometimes we'd be taking them across the yard. And it was always the hog that thought it could win. <laughs> and it drive me crazy. And I'd run and I'd run and I'd run and I was young and them great big heavy hogs could still outrun me. But I keep running, they'd finally tire down, they, they didn't have longevity, thank God. And some of them would finally just sit still, they would not move one bit. So you just go get the stacker tractor, push them over, you know, you ever hear, hear tipping cows, we tip hogs, tip them over in the bucket, take them down where they belong. But some of them kept moving around, we had these trees which are still there to the southwest of our house. And he's running in and out of these trees. And we've been running back and forth. You know, you get them right up an eighth of a mile from the other barn. You get them right up by the door. It's open. They look in it. And they go all the way back. And then, they, then you get them and you go this way, this way, this way, this way, this I'm talking stress. And finally you get them right up by there. And they think, nah. And they go back in them trees. And so one time, I remember specifically, I must have been a Christian because I, I mean, I know I, had, I was a Christian. <laughs> And so I'm right there at the point of, I think it's time to try some of the devil's weapons. Now, I didn't think of it that way, but I was thinking about choosing the wrong weapon. Cursing, and, and if I could get near him, maybe let him have it. I never believed in hurting animals. And if you hit them hogs just right to turn them, and it wasn't because you're trying to be mean, you could hit them just on the tip of the nose, and they go, and then they turn the other way. So, but one time I did that, and it just went, I go, uh-oh. <laughs> Just knocked him right out. I thought, Dad's not going to like this. <laughs> That's 150 bucks down. Anyway, it got back up. Thank God it was just knocked out. It was just count to 10. But anyway, this other one, I mean, I'm beginning to ready to curse. I mean, there was thoughts and things wanting to come out of my mouth, and I felt the Holy Spirit. And I just started saying, Hallelujah. And I knew it. I saw it so clear. I have two choices. Holy Spirit's near. God is near. Don't be anxious. And he was near, so I just start worshiping. I start praising God. And thank God for God, because that pig's still alive, you know. I mean, he was that day, and until, until we butchered him someday along the line. But, but, you know, if it wouldn't have been for God, that'd be a dead pig. You know, I've been known to kill things, and that's another story. But the, that's only after they drew a lot of blood out of my life. All right, so that makes it right, right? No, okay. I got too much to preach on a small, small amount of time. So we get back to the message we have a choice. It gets really, 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 really strained, and we think using that weapon is going to work when it never, ever, 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 ever does. One thing that's helped me to take the right choice is, Lord, you told me you were enough. You told me, you know, because I want to go to somebody else and say, hey, you know what so-and-so did? I want to go and get some compassion. And guess what happens? Everybody hates so-and-so. But I've learned that if God really says he is who he is, if he's my righteousness, if he's my healing, if he's my Emmanuel, God with me, if he's my sanctification, 
If he's my ever-present help in time of trouble, why am I running to somebody else and in the process hurting somebody else? Be anxious for nothing, but pray and thank God and, and think about who he is. Cast all your cares on who he is. He's all loving. <clears throat> I'm going to kick myself because we got to skip a bunch, but I kick myself more if I go too far over time. I just want to go, I got to finish with Romans 8. I can't leave Romans 8 out. We're going to hit Romans 8. I'm skipping a bunch, but we got the good stuff. Romans 8. You know, the, the Bible says in Luke 12, don't be afraid, my little children. It's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Father, the Father says, it's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid of this war of people. It's his good pleasure to give it to us. Okay, verse 16 in Romans 8, it says, the spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. For the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And because of that spirit you received is in you, it helps you cry, Abba, Father. I'm tempted to slander somebody, Abba, Father. I'm tempted to be angry, Abba, Father. I don't even have to tell him what's going on. He already knows. But I'm crying, Abba, Father, because he's the answer. He put a spirit in me that helps me cry. You are righteous. It doesn't matter what's going on on the job. It doesn't matter if the world's coming in. It doesn't matter if I just lost everything. I'm going to worship him and praise him. He's my father. He's my answer. He's my hope. And he knows what's going on. He, he's the only one that can make it right. He put a spirit in me that cries, Abba, Father. And the spirit testifies with my spirit that I'm a child. Now, if I'm a child, then I'm an heir. I'm an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, why do we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption of sons? We're already adopted, folks. Someday it's going to be easy to sit in the Father's lap. Someday it's going to be easy to just walk around in heaven and no warfare, no more pain, no more tears. But in the meantime, there's a Spirit He put in us that groans. For our adoption of sons, we're already adopted, but when the adoption is completely completed, there will be no more fight. But right now, it's up to us to fight to stay with Father. And he will get, He's given us the weapons. We can actually stay in His presence. Not only so, but we ourselves that have the Spirit, the first fruits, we groan as we wait eagerly for the consummation of our adoption as sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. So you may not see a perfect world right now, but you can press in to a perfect world right now. You may not see it, but you can press into it. You don't have to push the red button, Captain Savatsky. You don't have to push the red button. You don't have to get all stressed out and then go push the wrong buttons on the internet and look at the stuff that will destroy your soul. You don't have to get involved in the angry moments of political sides. 
You don't have to push the red button. You can stand out from the mix, the rest of them, and begin, instead of being drawn into that, watch one by one them be drawn into this. They say that the Republicans have never been as unified as they are now. They used to call Collins a rhino and, and uh, Mitch McConnell a rhino, and what's there's one more, and uh, Lindsey Graham a rhino. And I'm not saying if I'm a Republican or not, but I'm telling you what, they're more, re they're more unified than they've ever been. And you know what? It's because Susan Collins and a whole bunch of other things that happened, some of you probably watched it, actually gave a speech that made sense, and she didn't use weapons of accusation to accuse each, either side, and yet she came through and said, this is just the facts, and she made it so not accusatory to either side, and all of a sudden, the Republicans, they were so mad because she's a rhino, it's like, she's top of the line. Guess what? We can be top of the line, and people can begin to be drawn into him because of us if we quit pressing them red buttons. Don't destroy your world. You can save it. Amen. Let's stand. That's good. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we love you. We praise you. <laughs> Thank you that you understand the stress that we're under. Thank you that you understand and you love us even when we've chosen the wrong buttons, the wrong weapons. Help us to begin to understand the weapons of our warfare that we should use, such as prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, fasting, worship. Help us to go ahead and grab the weapons that build up and be done with the lifestyle that destroys. Help us to remember, Father God, to choose the right weapons. We've been so used to the junk that we've been using old, unreliable, evil, self-destructive weapons. We love you, Father God. We're not afraid because we know that you said, and you are not a liar, I am with you. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you. I am your God, and I am near. Father God, we put our trust in you. We're going to start doing it your way and just see what happens. And it's going to be good. In Jesus' name, we receive your love. If anybody would like to come up to the altar and just spend time, I just want to promote that a little bit, just real quick. A few weeks ago, Jeff Dale was speaking. All I knew is after he spoke, I wanted more of God. And I came up to this altar and I began to pray. And I was saying things like, Lord, I just want you. I just want to be real. I just want to be humble. I, I just want to be, be obedient. And really, I've been praying this for a couple years that I want to be humble and obedient. I don't want to neglect or ignore him anymore. I want to, you know, I want to do what he wants. I want to do whatever he wants. And as I did that, the song came on over the intercom. Um, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see. And when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. And I want you to know his eyes are always on you. If you want to see him, and I just wept and wept. I wept on the way home. I talked to Jenny on the way home. I told her what I was going through. But his love, his love, the Father's love, he just so wants to embrace us. He wants to embrace you, folks. He wants to embrace 
Don't ever for a minute think you've got to pay all kinds of prices in order to get in his presence. He's as close as the mention of his name. You turn your eyes to him and his eyes are already on you. And when you see that, the Bible says, and of his grace have all, of his fullness have all we received and grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. When you look to him, that means you're not looking to you. Grace upon grace. More grace as you look to him. Father, we just received that grace right now. Amen. Don't forget to come forward if you need more grace, if you need his presence. Amen. You're dismissed. Time I